Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all doing well today. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And um, and it's a great episode today. It's, uh, it's with Baxter Jury. I'd never met Baxter before, and uh, and Rough Trade got in touch, and uh, and we sorted it out, and um, and it was a real joy. I, it was just really nice to get to to sit down with someone whose work I've been a a big fan of for for a fair few years now. Um, we're not too dissimilar in age, so there's a few uh, reference points throughout here that uh, I could totally relate to, and we uh, we have a chinwag about that. But I won't I won't tell you too much more about it. But before uh, we start the episode, just a quick um, hello to everybody over at the Distraction Pieces Network uh, and the Boss Man Scroobius Pip. Go and have a look at the the podcasts that are available over there. And if that's not enough for you, can I suggest that you check out www.podbiblemag.com. That's the magazine and podcast that is put together by myself, uh, the aforementioned Scroobius Pip and Adam Richardson. And every other month we put out a new magazine, uh, which gets distributed around the UK inside the Sunday Times supplement. Uh, and also we do a weekly podcast. And we've had people like Ed Gamble, James Acaster, Jade Adams, Kate Thornton, Jenny Falconer, Johnny Vaughan, No Such Things as Fish, Carriad, everyone. Every podcast heavyweight's been on there talking about the podcast that they listen to and their own podcast. So go and check that out. Um, and I think all that's left... Uh, oh, I need to say thank you to my producer, Mr. 76. Thank you very much. If you have a podcast and you're looking for somebody to um, to master it and uh, and produce it, then uh, go and see uh, 76. He's, he's on all the social medias. Go and check him out. Um, but yeah, let's get back to the job at hand. Please enjoy today's episode of Off The Beaten Track Podcast with Baxter Jury. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year, and they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music, and they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. 
All the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we're recording. We're in uh, trendy East London today. Very trendy. It's uh, and 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 looking well sharp. Yeah, uh, do you know this is nineteen um, nineteen eighties Marks and Spencers? It's to really yeah, it's good, isn't it? The guy that make, like does these suits is that he like does loads of films and stuff. And this was from a, a whole load that he had for like that John Le Carre film. I can't remember like Tinker Taylor. Oh, really? So he had loads of like weird. Grey, beigey, yeah. weird, you know, anonymous-looking yeah. '80s. Wonderful! It's amazing how a little shift in time can make it look alright. Well, that voice you can hear is today's guest. It's back to the jury. Thank you very much for coming and doing That's this. Good, so, I start this podcast with track one. Yeah. Obviously, which is the song with the greatest intro. What was that again? Shangri-La's. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, as a, is it sort of related? Do I need a pair of um, cans or not? No, 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 we're not. Um, no, I don't want to. No, I don't like cans. Um, uh, yeah, it's got. Um, I just remember it as a. Uh, this, I mean, retrospectively, I remember it as being quite a powerful um, sort of conversation when I was young. I, was it? It wasn't in Greece, was it? I don't know why no. I heard it, but around that time, Greece was out. And my sister was into that, and that accompanied it on the um, record player. And I was, you know, I was just more into the kind of whole anticipation of something. Yeah. It's brilliant. But it's, I mean, it's, I'm not that old. But, you know, it's probably 10 years. Well, I don't even know when it was. It's probably 60s, isn't it? Is it Phil Spector or not? I don't it's know. not Spector, no. Not. But that um, era, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's that kind of very, it was very early sort of 60s girl group stuff, wasn't it? And, but I think what's good about the Shangri-Las that you don't get with the Angels and the Renettes and stuff yeah. like that they talk lots. Yeah, yeah. And you don't get that don't, much. That narrative thing. No, yeah. just, it's the story. Before the intro even drops. I've got to be honest, I don't know much about all their songs. I'm yeah. a bit like, are there other ones similar? Do they have a little natter and quite a few of them? Yeah, yeah. I should some... really get into oh, it. Oh, mate, right? check it out. Yeah, so it's a family of old school talking. Music. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, I didn't realise that. So, what I want to sort of ask you as a, mm. as a musician yeah. is... How do you, do you, have you ever changed the way that you approach writing an intro for your music from 
So when you first started, yeah, and looking at when you first started, it was kind of before you the streaming the first... service and stuff okay. like that, and and I guess lots of nowadays I'm looking at lots of music is definitely there is a consideration of radio when people are writing songs now and stuff like that. You mean, What's your approach? You to mean it? less indulgent? You mean they get on with it and they're. Well, I guess more for like the, the pop stuff, it's more like try and hook them quickly because music's so available now. Yeah, I mean, uh, apart from that being. Do you know point, what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, but I don't think that we have to ever consider that because we're on the mature side of um, obscure art music and it never really. We're never ever going to be evaluated on that basis. But I quite like thing. I got a sort of ADH, whatever it's called, ADH. I got a HD version of ADDDHD, and I'm quite. I lose concentration quite quickly, so I want everything to happen quite quickly and be out quite quickly. Yeah. And I don't want to talk for long. Do you say, write like that then? Yeah, I kind of like things in and out quickly, and there's not much. Um, so I quite like the song to start, but even before you've even noticed, you know. So how does that work with like? sitting in the studio when the producer's kind of doing stuff, do you let them get on with it? Or? I mean, I don't know what producer, you know, producer's only a sort of flower, but you know what I mean? It's, you know, I mean, who switches on the lights and who locks up and who makes the toasted sandwiches is all, everyone does yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so I don't know what a producer is really. I mean, I, you know, I'm as much as a producer as the next person, so it's a, coll a collaborative yeah. process with lots of people, yeah. What, where I was going with that was, do you get bored sitting at the desk? No, um, yeah, I mean, I, there's a certain amount of knowledge I've acquired, enough for me to feed my interest, and I know when to hand it over. Yeah. I know where my skill set is and where yeah. I'm actually becoming, where I'm starting to frustrate the process. Yeah. So I keep it like, I've learnt that quite quickly. Yeah. So I'm effective in certain areas and then I leave it to someone else, you know. Go with your strengths, right? And also, like, I choose musicians really well because that's not really something I'm very dexterous at. I'm not very good at. I can, I can find melodies and stuff, but I'm not consistent at them. Mm. And, my, and my brain's going around in a sort of uh, an ever-inventing rotor. So I can't really remember what I said or did or was meant to do next. Yeah. So, uh, which is quite confusing for other people. But if you get the right kind of team, yeah, they can soak that up and appropriate it effectively. If that's the right sentence, I don't know. I think so. <laughs> Track two, mm -hmm. the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Oh, Plaster Patricia, mm -hmm. one of my old man songs. Well, I think I, I probably about six or seven years old. And I lived in a in a tiny back street of Aylesbury, in a port. You know, me and my sister and mum all shared one room, not one room. That's making it a bit more extreme than it was. But it was we were pretty poor conditions. And my best mate was called Amjal, and they were a Bengali family next door. And I remember luring him over and playing him that track. And um, obviously, I'd been um, you know versed in that sort of language culture already so it wasn't a big shock but I knew it yeah. was quite a shocking um, narrative Yeah, and we played it as loud as possible my yeah. mum probably grumbled and I think his old man heard it through the very thin walls <laughs> yeah. I mean slapped him around the face so yeah. hard and I started crying oh really? Yeah, he, he, kept it, he kept it together and I started crying <laughs> I remember that so it was quite an emotional effect of that so, so he what, got what, what was I that emotion? Played, I don't know I was just Petrified, probably he was a, but you know, the, uh, the guy was a big old, his dad was a big old vessel of a man, yeah, you know, with a kind of 
a brooding temper. Yeah. And this is the mid seventies, and no one didn't. You know. Anyway. It's quite a stark I mean, intro, isn't it? <laughs> and they must have thought we were level two freaks, or you know, like, <laughs> bohemian. So where, where was you born? Um, I was actually born in a house not that far from Aylesbury in a place called Wingrave, which is a, like a, a tiny village in Buckinghamshire and with an old house attached to a church. And mum and dad got it because it was so cheap. They had to clean out all the... It was, it was owned by an old alcoholic vicar or parson or something. And they got it and they painted there when they came out of Royal College of Art. And he started up his first band. And I was born in the house as myth has it, as Dad was playing Johnny B. Good. But I don't know if that bit's true, because some people... Well, that's, were... that's my next question, and, it, and it's, it's a strange question to ask you, because, A, you've, you've almost answered it there, and, yeah. and obviously it's no, it's no surprise to anyone that you've obviously come from a, a musical family, but aside from your dad's music, was there records on at home, or like oh, growing yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're what sort much of stuff? Like, yeah. A lot of jazz and black music, really. I mean, yeah. Dad and his kind of um, kind of sixties art scene were like really into kind of kind of. Um, they weren't really into like they were into Gene Vincent and stuff, but they were really into Thelonious Monk and all these subversive jazzers. Weird stuff like that was playing, and you get all sorts of strange assortment of music coming out constantly. And there was always a scenario where. As a child, you were asked to shake the packet of cornflakes while someone else did an etching of you. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite, it was relatively bohemian. We were anchored by the fact that mum was so normal and not part of that subversive scene. So we had two uh, interesting influences yeah. that kept us quite uh, grounded. My sister and I, that is. Okay. Well, I, I, I want to move on there because you see that for track three kind of sits with. The, the, the sort of question I was going to ask, you, you, you said about the music you were listening to was in places quite obscure and different. And so I ask you about the song that reminds you of your time at school. And can you remember what you put for that? Yeah. So you went for Planet Rock. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, that, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. Because by the time that we'd moved in, so we moved, to, we moved to London when I was about seven or eight. And then by the time, maybe really where music changed for me, in an interesting way was when hip hop started to creep through. And it was only through people like, people like Tim Westwood and stuff on pirate radio stations. And that felt like, you know when people always talk in documentaries how music became exclusive to them. And I think that was totally that thing. And you could only hear it at like a four o'clock on a Tuesday and you'd have to tune into it yeah. and what you, like a transistor radio yeah. still. It feels so historic, doesn't it? And he would play two hours yeah. on like, maybe it was Kiss or something. I can't remember what it was. It would have been at the time, I think. Or was maybe it Radio it was London? A, no, it was something else before Kiss, wasn't yeah. it? Because Kiss was more dance music, yeah. wasn't it? It was like mid, early, mid 80s. Yeah. And all those tunes, and they just sounded amazing and like subversive and weird. Otherworldly. Yeah, yeah, totally. No and then all those bands would come they? over and all the go-go music, and, and we were obsessed. Yeah. We were in the game. And it, it's, we're not too different in age, uh, Baxter, and, and, and I've had previous guests I've had on around that age, the, we talk about it, that moment at school yeah. when hip-hop, and breakdancing, and all, all of a sudden stuff, someone yeah. had a copy of the Subway Art magazine. Everyone was yeah, 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 well, that, exactly. And, and Henry Chow, my granny was so amazing. Sorry to interrupt there. That's but I'm on, my granny was so amazing and sort of like otherworldly in her own way. 
she got in touch of Henry Chalfront that wrote that book. And he came over to do a speech about Subway Art with this writer called Brim. And we went and sat and had lunch with them with my granny, who's really? this sort of posh old woman with a big a bunch of curlers in her hair, yeah. <laughs> and I was, didn't say anything, so she spoke on my behalf. So... Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It was all out of school. Did you enjoy it? I went to quite a few. Right. Um, no, not at all. I, I mean, the first school I was at, the first big comprehensive school that I was at was pretty tough. And maybe I was, you know, I, I had to sort of out-naughty anyone to sort of compete because I was, didn't really belong. And it was a tough old comprehensive. Um, and then, I, I know, I'll tell you what, eventually I got thrown out of three or four schools and ended up in like a mum persuaded dad to pay for a posh tutorial college, like a posh school. Mm. So by the time I was 15 to do my GCSEs, I went and I absolutely adored it but got thrown out after six months but had just the best time got loads of mates from it still surprisingly oh really and it was full of the most extreme toffs and I never really met a top yeah to that point but had just an amazing time yeah loved school then but previous to that what, what was the hardship being being I mean I just couldn't concentrate and it was you know one weirdly enough we lived in Chiswick and Chiswick you'd imagine is snugly in the most you know leafy middle class suburb of London but the comprehensive school there in the 80s was just so tough and it was fed from all the kids that when they were fed from all the tough areas locally and all the posher kids went to the posher schools and it was just a tough hostile place and maybe my nature wasn't prepared for that sure i just wasn't ready or i mean i got on there i still got mates from there and i got on with it but i found it really tough what did you want to be when you were at school i mean i just wanted to survive each day i think i don't know yeah. what i thought about much more than that really I mean, I was a bit of an odd kid compared to them. Yeah, of course. Oh. And would that... Was creativity encouraged at school? 
I mean, when I was there, it was a teacher's strike. No, no. I mean, there wasn't. I mean, I didn't really go to be honest. By the time by the time I was in the second year, I'd learnt to truant at such a high level, <laughs> and I was off. And then I had a sort of network of sympathetic friends of dads I could hang out with. And then dad eventually realised I just wasn't going to school. Quite wisely let me just hang out with him. And, yeah. I, and he was doing a lot of theatre by then. And I, I toured around Europe on a theatre production and stuff. Which was quite a clever thing to do, actually. Did that interest you? Oh, yeah. I mean, then I was in my game. Yeah, I was just yeah. totally, yeah. So I, I was, I'm pretty unschooled. I'd never done an exam in my life. Really? Yeah. I never actually sat in it. And so... When did music become something that... Well, music's always been there. I mean, music was just around us always. It was around us at home, it was around us. So I always did it. Around? Oh, yeah, we had a whole room. We had a whole room, like a studio room, with a Hammond organ and a drum kit. Yeah. So without any consideration to any of the neighbours, he would, he would play at five o'clock in the morning, his drum kit. Yeah. And the, poli the, poli the local policeman was called policeman uh, PC Honey. And he got so used to coming around to our house, he'd ring on the door at four o'clock in the morning. I'd answer it about the age of 11. Yeah. And he'd go back to his PC Honey. And he'd come up and he wouldn't walk into the music room because of everything they were doing. Yeah. And he'd go and make himself a cup of tea. <laughs> and eventually dad wrote him a song called PC Honey to the Rescue. So and he's on the front of it. Like You could hear him being recorded complaining at the point. Oh, really? And then eventually a, a guy turned up with a hammer and actually threatened us all with a hammer from upstairs. Oh, and right. Dad was in the bathroom with an Aboriginal guy, semi-naked, playing the didgeridoo. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite crackers, really. Yeah, I mean, that sounds a lot more interesting than school, mate. Well, I mean, you don't see it like that. Yeah. Sometimes you're like the kid in E.T. when they cover it. With, you know, when they, he gets home and they've covered it and all yeah. the CIA have turned up or whatever. You're like, oh, this is too weird. You know, you, you have quite a, a kind of neutral perspective when you're young, thinking, yeah, it's a little strange, isn't it, around that way? You, you know it's strange and yeah. it's not normal. You was aware that your yeah, pals' yeah, you houses were a bit different to yours. idea that yeah. this is not always normal. Yeah, OK. So, for track four... Bax, I'd like you to tell me the first song you got from a record shop. Shaking Stevens. It's a cracker. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Shake Green Door, I think. I don't know, that was an innocent... I'd got into Elvis at a really young age, which was endorsed. Family, you know, Dad didn't mind that. And then I ventured off independently yeah. and found Shaky. And obviously that got a bit um, of a negative reaction yeah. locally. But I was really into him. I might have even met him or something like that. And Madness, I was really into Madness, but Shaky, that tune was a, yeah. maybe the first tune I ever bought. I think uh, it's, it's a weird one, Shaky, because you look back now and it's just bananas when you yeah, see him on like... creepy to He's yeah. got a sort of puffy, weird, creepy face. It's weird. He might have been, you know, I'm surprised. He have, um, if he was any more famous, he would have definitely done a stint. <laughs> I reckon, you know what I mean? He looks weird, doesn't he? Too much double denim. Yeah. Trainers were too white. And, uh, but when you were kids, he was the coolest, wasn't he? He well, was I like a hybrid so, yeah. of like yeah. what you'd seen of Elvis on the calendars in the chip shop yeah. and a little bit of the Fonz thrown in. It yeah, was, it was like... amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, he was a good guy. <laughs> it was good stuff. Can you remember where you bought it? So we, after we lived in Aylesbury, we moved to the... We made a few, my dad made a few quid, so we moved to a place called Tring, and I think I bought it locally there. What's that? Tring's and Hertfordshire is a shithole. Right. It's a sort of posher, 
Brexit, you know. Right. Brexit capital oh, okay. culture. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, Tring, if you're listening, but it's horrible. Right. But, yeah. And so, were record shops important for you, like, growing up? Yeah, I mean, by the, especially by the time I got into hip-hop and stuff, absolutely, because all those those kind of shops evolved in Soho and all those all those pre-dance shops and stuff. We were really into Rare Groove and all that stuff, so we were all, we were all over that stuff, so we collected. So Record and Tape Exchange yeah. started in the 80s or the late 80s, all that stuff. We'd spend our whole weekends doing that. We yeah. were quite a, quite a positive recreation, wasn't yeah. it, collecting records. Yeah. And it was also that was being wiped, you know, there were still like CDs were coming in and that was slowly being wiped out. So they were really, you could get loads of amazing stuff really cheap. Yeah. That's all we spent our time doing. It was just, for me, just walking past them record shops and seeing them, just the artwork of the Electro albums, I like mean, in the were, windows. Yeah, that colour, that amazing. neon colour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember now, I'm still excited, but yeah. you get Electro 1, Electro 2. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, yeah, they were incredible, those. And they actually, now they sound yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Mine don't look unbelievable anymore. Have you still got them? I've, I've got, I think I've got about three or four. Left over from when you were a kid? Yeah. Really? Yeah, right. I've got all my, all my sort of vinyl that I kept from Amazing. when I was a little. But around that time also was the evolution of these like silver pens that you shook up. Oh, yeah, I, yeah that's what the whole, that whole graffiti world was. So it? I wrote things like Crucial and, right, okay. and like, the name of me crew and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. on the sleeve. So, like, they ain't worth a bean anymore. Okay, you got... I did all completely that. Completely defaced them. We were deeply into... We were actually quite accomplished graffiti artists. I was a little bit more... Just, you know, like, just angry. In fact, yeah. I wrote aggro, but and, all, and everyone else was, became quite accomplished. That was your tag? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we... But the only thing I had, like, I had, like, a... A thing about writing on churches and telephone boxes. I don't know whether there was some sort of sensibility, <laughs> right. some sensitivity somewhere. So I refused certain things. But, yeah. But it, and they got so. And the fact that a lot of my mates are still really into that. Yeah. Rather stupidly, but. Okay. For track five, I can't get beyond you hanging out with a dude from uh, Subway Art with your nan. That's oh, yeah, amazing. That was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> track five. The song that soundtracked your years in Clubland. Oh, across the tracks. Yeah, mm. I just remember. I mean, it's one of the obvious tr tracks that came out. We used to go to a club called the Mud Club on the Opera House, and they were all around the corner. They're run by this guy called Philip Salon, and I used to ring up Philip Salon, <laughs> pretend to be my old man. Oh, hello, Philip. This is Ian. And he obviously knew who it was. We were all about fourteen. Yeah. And wore straw hats. Chef's trousers. Well, I got it all a bit wrong and wore right. chef's trousers. Everyone else had like Mr. Freedom's flares, and right. we were quite. A, this is post Chiswick Comprehensive School. I went to Holland Park School for a while, and that was much more entrenched in historical bohemianness and much yeah. better. And there were a bunch of hippie kids that went there, and then we started to dress up and listen to tracks like that, and it was all deeply rare groove orientated. A really musical, but there were nightclubs. We'd get in there at twelve o'clock at night. I mean, I don't know what our parents were thinking, but but we'd go there at twelve o'clock at night. How we got in there, I don't know. Tell me a bit about the Mud Club because it's something that I never got to go to. Okay. And when I read about it, 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 it sounds like it was quite when I was special. Just a kid, I don't know. It was yeah. pretty cool. We just used to wear weird clothes, and we used to wear like there was a lot of. What was it like? It was like a lot of... Um, by the time we got there, 
there, there was an enormous amount of young kids going, I guess, which I think probably closed it down, really. So was this... This was when they were still pl- sort of playing like Rare Groove, but had house music started no, to kind of happen? No, house music hadn't yet. really happened yet. So this was in 86, I guess, right. 87, and then house music started to take over, and that changed the face of all that. Yeah. All those Rare Groove clubs. Yeah. Maybe there was one called Raw somewhere at the, at the um, WAG Club or something. Yeah. That was the last one that survived, and all those clubs disappeared. And there were these other kind of ecstasy-orientated nightclubs called Enter the Dragon and stuff like that. Yeah. Enter the Street. What's that one called, Enter the Dragon? Yeah. That's, That's a great Enter name for a club. There were loads and loads of them, but they were yeah. quite pointless then. Yeah, yeah. Everyone started going to raves and all that. But Was that ever of interest to you? I was a bit scared, to be honest. What? Amongst of all the kind of chaos I was brought up with, I was quite sensitive. Yeah. So when, it, when you're in a car with someone you don't know who's driving, meeting another bloke, with an awful jumper and a service station. And I did, the whole dynamic got a bit too... I was a bit too vulnerable for that. Yeah. I started to worry a bit. So going back to the Mud Club and, 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 and the times when you was, you was clubbing there, what, what did you sort of want from, from clubbing? I, I mean, it, I don't know what I wanted. I was 14 or 15. It was a sort of first lease, lease of freedom. You know, we were... I personally had an enormous amount of freedom anyway, but I yeah. didn't have anything to do with it. Mm. So by the time everybody else had accompanied me on an adventure like that, it was the ha- some of the happiest times I can remember. Yeah, you know, I, you know, we. I think it, I was going to say it was innocent, but I wouldn't even. Sw- I don't think we were that innocent. We were a pretty little b- bunch of little nutters. I think. Yeah. So. Was you obsessed with music? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Our our crew were definitely obsessed, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, for track six... Yeah. Um, Favourite song from an artist from your home county? Well, I put Labrador Grove because I more or less was brought up there and I went to school there for a while, so I put The Clash. Um, I can't remember which one I put. Which one did I put? Uh, Spanish Bombs. Oh, yeah, I love that tune. Um... So, it's really weird, because normally I ask how people's home county has affected their creativity yeah. like, over yeah. the years, but it sounds like you've moved so much. Well, that was always around Abbott Grove to us, and, and the, I mean, they were kind of associated family and stuff with, with The Clash, they were always around. I mean, I only, when I was young, I only met Joe once, and I was, um, we were at his house at Carnival, and my, 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 me and my mate were really young, and we'd gone on his roof, and we were either smoking a cigarette or something, and we decided to piss off the roof. And, um, and as we walked down, Joe and my mate's dad were running up, going, is anyone up there? And they were covered in piss. And I thought, <laughs> that's the only time Fuck. I ever met him. So I pissed on Joe's drummer once. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through 
and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Uh, well, I was about to say, have you met them? But clearly you have. And, and, I, had, uh, and, I, and I had a lovely moment the other day. And Mick Jones still kind of parades through Labbert Grove in his own, sort of, he's yeah. in his own world. He's always got a couple of shopping bags. And sometimes I bump into him and I sort of have to remind him who I was. And for the first time in a long time, he volunteered to cross the street and came and bigged me up about a single that we just had out called Stumble. Oh, Stumbler. wonderful. And he had a little moment, and just as you're about to respond, he puts his head down and walks off again. He wasn't, didn't want to continue it, but it was very sweet that he even did that. I, uh, I saw him in, in, in Soho about seven or eight months ago. Yeah. And I was just sitting in a, in a pub having a pint, and I saw him walking down the street, and I thought, don't be that wanker that runs down the street after someone. I, I was. Yeah, yeah. I had to. It's yeah, fucking Mick Jones. Yeah, yeah, and like, and yeah. I tapped him on the shoulder. He looked petrified. Yeah, he does look a bit petrified. And I just said, look, I just want to say hello. He's a total sweetie, actually. Don't yeah. want a photo or anything like that. I just want to say hello. And he was so kind. Yeah, and he is. was like, and I was like, oh, wow, this was worth that sprint down the road yeah. and, and losing me pint but yeah he was he was absolutely <laughs> delightful um back to the last track um a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear oh what was that was that the last track it was was it maybe i read the question wrong what did i say you went for cindy lauper i did i have i thought it meant something you're not what was the question a song that many may not know that you'd um, like them to hear. So you can turn someone on to something new. Oh, I see. Right now, I got that. I, I thought you meant something you're not meant to admit to liking. That's all right. We can do that. Because I'm always singing that and getting that wrong. Right. Go, oh, and just mumbling the melody. And then I saw it again the other day. And I thought, what a tune. Really it's a beautiful weird. record. Yeah. And um, oh, well, I could choose another one. Go for it. I mean, I love this tune called, um, by a guy called Bobby Charles called Small Town Talk. No one knows that. I, I mean, he was a... a he made he's, he was an agrophobic, agrophobic I think had never went out amazing kind of country soul singer white guy I think from the south but he, he had this one hit and it obviously never could support it as a hit because he never went out but the band as in Bob Dylan's band played the, play the music to it oh wow and it's this amazing kind of country funk tune it's just incredible so is it sort of early 70s yeah say 73 or 4 or something like that What's the track called? Small Town Talk. Small Town Talk. And it's incredible. Bobby Charles, his name is. Okay. I mean, his music's amazing anyway. And the, it was very well, you know, acknowledged. Yeah. But he never really... I mean, you hear this track and it's a massive hit. Yeah. But it never was a hit because he just couldn't follow it up. Yeah. So, so what are you up to now? What's going on? Well, I, in March we released another album. Um, called The Night Chances, and then just all the stuff you have to do before that, and then on tour, and then on going to Benidorm to shoot a video in a few days, and all the usual. So your your output's quite prolific at the moment. You 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 want a bit of a creative spurt these last few years? Well, I think you just once you're in the game, you're in the game, you don't have to think about it that much. It's pretty easy, isn't it, really? Mm. It depends if anyone wants to listen, you know? Yeah. So it's, it comes quite easily. Yeah. Yeah. Live show? Yeah, the ne the next London one we're doing is in um, Kentish Town. In the Forum, Forum, yeah. Forum, yeah. Um, yeah, loads. We're we're in the game. I'm not allowed. To, I don't 
you know, Glastonbury, all that stuff. I don't know if you've been allowed to mention that yet, but I just did, so there right. we are. Okay. Um, first one, in fact. Mm. First one I've ever played. So, um, yeah, it's all good. You enjoying it? Yeah. I mean, I enjoy the good bits. Yeah. You know, I don't like the bad bit. You know, that I don't know what bad bits are. You, sometimes there isn't any bad bits, is that? If I think about it now. Yeah. What's day to day then? Well, day to day changes depending on what you're doing. If you're writing an album, you're in the studio. I live with my son, so I look after him quite a lot. You know, I like a kind of family cycle of life as well. If you're, I'm writing a book about two years of my childhood. So I signed a big a book deal with a publisher called Little Brown. And so I've got a serious amount of pressure to finish that. And that's one of the trickiest things I've ever done in terms of just being unschooled. My you know, I don't have a great grounding in yeah. completing things like this, but but it's really interesting process, tough. So I've got I'm doing that at the same time. I've got um, yeah, I've got loads. Of, yeah, tough as in revisiting it, revisiting but it. But it's a or... bit of a bleak, you know. I mean, re revisiting anything can be bleak, you know. All, not all childhoods are perfect, and also I'm not doing it as a journalist, so I sort of have to adapt it to, to my own story. So it's an impression of my childhood. Yeah. I think it really frustrate and annoy a few people how inaccurate it is yeah. and how it changes to my advantage all the time. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. I'll just write a big apology in the first few pages. Yeah. But, yeah, and I'm just, I didn't want to write something about Dad as such or stuff but I mean he's obviously in it because yeah, it's quite important and mum's mm -hmm. in it and all that but it's about two years where I lived with a with a with a guy called the sulfate strangler who was a friend of dad's in fact and I was so wayward he he got me to live with him and I went to the private school and it's just about a sort of social experiment I think he, dad tried to show me what the edge looked like so I never went over the edge really and maybe it, well, maybe Anyway, it's that's what it's supposed to be about. Yeah. So it's quite difficult writing at eighty thousand words about two years, and remembering it all and padding it all out. It's a tricky process. What have it's you done? Sat down and tried to work out a timeline of them two no, years. I just write it quite. I just write it. I write it a bit like an album. I sort of vibe sometimes. And yeah. Then I don't. I go shit. And yeah. And I've got some amazingly clever people around me, so I send it off constantly. Get yeah. and get it verified. You know. And a few people help with the grammar. So, what's the the sort of uh, the, obviously so there's a bit of pressure to get that done. When's that due out? I mean, they they want it. It's a whole different process getting a book out, you know. Yeah. But I think they'll try and get it out next year. Okay. Wicked. So that's quite interesting. I mean, I will do it. Yeah. But it is breaking me doing it. But I will do it. In yeah. fact, touring's quite good. I, I mean, my fantasy is being on the tour bus because I wake up earlier than everyone else as well they're all yeah. like everyone is like sleeping on a submarine they love it but I'm up at seven looking for Hotel de Ville or the Bicycle Spoke Museum or whatever I'm sort of lively so I'll go and find somewhere to go and write yeah okay lovely so we'll see Baxter thanks loads mate right, mate I really appreciate you coming right. in and doing this okay. uh, I know you've had to do other ones today so hopefully this was a little bit different and uh, we yeah, just got great. the chat tunes yeah. and uh, and yeah all the all best right, for the album and the book. Nice one. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully see you soon. All right, mate. Thank you. There you go. Glad you enjoyed that. Um, it was uh, it was a lot of fun for me to record that. 
uh, as you're aware, it, it wasn't a, a big 90-minute chat, but I was also very aware that Baxter had spent the day doing press, so uh, I didn't want to sort of take up too much of his time. But I feel that the you know the the, the time we we had was well spent, and we we chatted about the the songs that he chose and the uh, and the important the importance of that in his his creative journey. Um, I'm back next week. Um, if you can't wait that long for for more music chat, then please head over to my Patreon. Uh, do a weekly episode on there as well. Any support. Uh, he's much appreciated. Um, other than that, if you see us on the socials, give us a like, love, share, retweet, and all of that. Um, better still, just subscribe. That'd be great. And leave us a little comment over on the uh, the iTunes thing. Okay, have a lovely week, and I'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah? Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Hey,